Rightio. Rightio. Oh, yes. Hello, hello. There we go. <laughs> Sir, welcome back. And as to what has been a very last minute uh, organization from me, uh, I totally. I remember last time you and I coordinated with like, when are you available next? And today was the day. And last night I'm like, wait, it's today for you. Well, no, it's... I'd, I'd completely forgotten as well, so... <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. It works out at the end. I, I forget everything. Unless it's in my calendar, it's gone, you know? Yeah, that's like, true. second the conversation changes, it can, the, un the only well reason, The only reason I got this and remembered was because I had in my calendar like an all-day event for today that it's Munchables, Munchables content. And I was like, wait, what is that? Um, turns out that was actually my content in, in the end. And so we got there in the end. Um, thank you again for joining me. Like, yeah, giga last minute. It's... No problem. 11 p.m. there for you. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't have to say thank you. I say thank you to you. you you're it's too late. I already said it. What are you going to do now? I don't know. There's no going back. I, I We're in too deep. Just, I might end the stream, to be honest. I might, I might yeah, just I, it You know, it's been a great, it's been a great stream. It's been a great conversation. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, uh, of course, I had to get you back because remember last time you and I had a big chat. Uh, we yep. went over and what was going to be one episode ends up turning into two because you know you talked yeah. a lot about your history and I didn't realize your history was that in depth. If other people haven't seen the first part. Munchables in in the first part of this casting chamber talked all about like his road, which was a seven eight year stint in the end. I think, like, yeah, super long. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've been doing it for eight years, and it took a long time to get to doing the good stuff. <laughs> I'm not yeah. gonna lie, a lot longer than I had bargained for, but we made it. Yeah, we nice. we did. I mean, you did, and 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 we got here the second part as well. So after talking about your experience, I mean, I had to get you back today because talking about the mechanics as well is something that I think is really important in this series, and something that people who are trying to learn the craft can take away quite easily. So going into today, I, I want to ask you play by play specific questions. We of course are starting the series yep. on the play by play side of bracket, which for anyone who doesn't know or might be starting out, is the hype side. Is the you know, play calling, and, and this is something that you can help me with as well. Uh, because starting off, like the, the biggest question I want to ask you to open things up to get us into it is how you actually define your role. Like, I want you to give me the lowdown, the way you think about it in your head when you're broadcasting, when you're thinking about your role in conjunction with with your color or or, or your trio, is how you define your role as a play by play and like what your job actually is. Sure. Um, so. I think the the best word that I've heard used to describe a play-by-play -play that's the most like kind of all-encompassing is storyteller, right? Because ultimately, all all casters are fundamentally storytellers. We're, we're telling the stories of the players and of the teams and of the league yep. and etc. Um, but for for play-by-play -play specifically, like every aspect of what you do as a play-by-play -play is finding interesting ways to tell the stories of the players and finding ways to get the audience engaged so that includes you know shouting and getting hype during the big moments because ultimately as a commentator your job is not just to say what is happening on the screen but to to try and add to that and try and uh you know anyone that doesn't um 
anyone that's not aware that this is a huge moment happening on the screen, so you yeah. have to make sure that they know that this is a huge moment happening on the, on the screen, right? But a huge part of that that I think a lot of people don't uh, often realize or acknowledge is that there, those huge moments, I would say 90% of the time, require context, right? League of Legends is the game of context. It, a big moment only matters if you know the context of the series and yeah. of what's happened in the game so far, is this guy fed? Are they behind, et cetera, et cetera. So you're building the story of the game the entire time. And so for me, the, the fundamental role in play-by-play -play is building those stories so that then when it comes to the, the biggest moments, that there is a story to lean into. And that that's kind of the climax to the story. That's the crescendo that you've been building towards. So for me, the, the biggest part of the art is is building that story to be able to to set up for the, the final finish yeah and you, you talked about you also talked about you know the the play happening on the screen as well i think that's something that needs to be highlighted is like you know being aware of your surroundings and being able to put that story it, it, it's something that's a, a little bit deep but i want to bring in as to what you've been talking to me about recently with a lot of you know our vod reviews that you've done for my side where you talked about injecting that story into the play, injecting that story in parts where it, it makes sense as well. Getting that flow going, I think something really hard yeah. for people to understand where um, you can do too much of it, right? You can be too much of a storyteller as a play-by-play. -play. I think that is a thing. I know that there have yeah. been fans in the past of major regions who said like, oh, there's way too much storytelling in this region or there's, there's no focusing on the game. You can be too much one side, right? Like it, you can't be all storyteller. For sure, yeah. Um, like, I mean, obviously, we've all seen the memes on Reddit about LEC's narratives, right? I, I don't think that they're unaware of the, <laughs> the Reddit situation, right? Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, for me, maybe I'm just an idiot because I do this as a job. I love that shit. I gobble that shit up all day long. Mm. Um, but I, I totally can see where, where the audience are coming from at times. I think it's much less about whether or not you're telling a story and much more about how you go into like how you transition into that story yeah because sometimes it feels a little bit shoehorned in you know sometimes it's like hmm yeah we're talking about the bot lane matchup by the way did you know this mid laner blah 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 <laughs> it's like kind of a, a really harsh transition yeah um, so it can be a little bit a little bit painful at times like that but um i think you know outside of just you know telling stories i feel like this is a very uh pretentious answer to your question honestly but, it, but it's the simple, a good baseline the simple side yeah yeah it's a it, i i would say that that is the backbone of everything that we do but the, yeah. the actual bare bones of it of like what actually is it is like obviously commentating team fights so mm. when it gets action-packed speaking fast and speaking loud and making it exciting uh, and popping off when the players pop off it's also um kind of sort of playing a pseudo host role in the conversation a lot of the time like if you're in a very slow game there's a lot of downtime so ultimately the play-by-play's responsibility to keep that conversation flowing bring up new topics like segue into things that you and your color had prepped to talk about during the series these kinds of things ultimately fall into the host position not that color casters can't segue the conversation or anything like that themselves as yeah. well but generally speaking the responsibility lies with the play-by-play -play. um and then on top of that as well, generally speaking, it will be the play-by-plays, not really responsibility, but usually it's play-by-plays that will bring up statistics, right? Because the way that you want to, generally in my experience, the way you want to approach 
um, statistics is often for the play-by-play to kind of set up the narrative point that you're trying to put across with these statistics, which <laughs> I'll be the first to admit in esports is often ham-fisted. But mm. um, so I'll give you an example. It's going to be easier to give an example than try and explain what I'm saying. So like I'll say like, oh, well, this player has incredibly high CSD at 15 uh, because he's a lane dominant player. And then at that point, I give it over to my color and the color caster. So I've given like the super basic, here's a statistic and here's vaguely what it means. The color caster can then give the context on like, well, he's got this really high CSD because he plays Draven every game. And it turns out if you're playing Draven every game, you win lane every game, therefore you have a good CSD, right? Mm. Uh, And these kinds of points that a lot of the audience don't really think about. And a lot of the time, statistics like this can be misused pretty massively. And that kind of context matters a lot. So a lot of it is working with your color to make sure that the statistics you're bringing up actually mean what you think that they mean. And there is an yeah. extra context there that actually you're just saying something completely wrong. So, but, but generally it'll be like introducing those topics and, and working with your color to, to set them up to talk about what they want to talk about as well. Cause that feels like a complete answer. Right? I do like that you started talking about, you know, your first thing and your first go-to was storytelling straight away. Like you, you mentioned like that is, you know, kind of the baseline, the most important thing. And I, I agree. Like, Everyone has a different answer on what it means to be a play-by-play. I think one of my favorite answers um, also in the past was, I think, Frost Gurren who said, you know, you, you the play-by-play spikes, uh, shoots the ball up or throws the ball up for the color caster to spike it down as well. Like, that's part of the agreement. And that's that's more about the duo and how they interact with each other as well. But I do like that, you know, Storyteller is the most logical answer here. Uh, because as a play-by-play, I think a lot of the time our role is... I wouldn't say underappreciated, but looked over as someone who simply just hypes up the games. And while that's true, me shouty monkey, me, yeah, me, me, <laughs> me shout monkey. Um, it's true, but it's also like there's 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 more to it than that. Um, and and getting into this next question, I feel like we'll be able to alleviate on, on some of that or, or show some of that as well. I wanted to talk to you about your theory, uh, your your prep for being a play-by-play like what you actually go through because i think this will also showcase what our role does in the back end that might not also be seen um what what uh, you personally as well like i, I want how you prepare for your cast mm. in lpl like you know playoffs like um i mean you you cast you cast finals for for summer as well which was a banger by the way an amazing cast like you know <laughs> No, no, you're on this show. You're going to get talked up. Um, so, so tell me, <laughs> tell me like regular season versus playoffs. Give me a, a rundown of what yeah. you specifically do to prep. Sure. So um, <clears throat> obviously, if you couldn't tell by the first answer, big on the whole story thing, right? Mm. Um, so my, my biggest um, kind of time sink and prep a lot of the time is going into player histories to look for like crossovers so yep. uh for example like the, the easiest example right is top esports versus ig jackie love won the world championship on ig in his rookie year uh, two years later he leaves ig and and joins this formidable top esports roster so that was kind of like a big especially last year that was a big kind of story of of mm. not just top esports but also of ig like trying to rebuild without jackie love right because he was ultimately one of their core players um and and he's a big He's one of those players that really changes the team that he's on. So 
um, trying to find things like that, because obviously that one's super obvious. Roster changes are always relatively obvious. But if you go back in in the histories and things, like, uh, for example, Knight and Yagao, like, being from the same town, have both playing in the same land cafe, being mid laners from yeah, the same I area, love that narrative, yeah. making it to finals in 2020, like, trying to find articles and things like this. I, I have a few friends that I talk to to try and find things from the Chinese side as well, because I mm. think that's one of the things that's super under, uh, underrepresented in the English broadcast of the LPL is like, most of us can't read any Mandarin, right? And ultimately there is very little connection between LPL Chinese side in terms of the media there, in terms of like interviews that are going on and like, yeah. you know, like for example, when, when Mad Lion's owner tweets, you know, fuck his players or whatever, or whatever it was. It was like, oh, we the, should bench the owner. owner, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the whole point, right? We know about that. We see all of that drama. We're like, we're, we're neck deep in it instantly. Yeah. Well, that shit happens over in China as well, but it's all on Weibo and it's all in Chinese, right? Mm. So it's very difficult for the Western audience to be able to get involved and, and, and see these stories and, and learn about these players stories right and i'm not saying that i'm trying to bring drama to the cast but i just mean like you know there's a lot more than just owners shit talking players on yeah, Twitter, yeah. You know? um and so like trying to find stuff like that i dedicate quite a lot of time to uh, and i intend on dedicating even more time to this year um because i think that's the kind of stuff that can really add value to the cast that really no other region aside from maybe korea but i feel like there's a much better window into the korean scene for the Western fans. Um, I feel like that's massively underserved in LPL. So that's a huge part of my prep. Obviously, mm. there's also just like finding statistics. We have to create our segments every single week. So um, that's another you know, big part. Putting a lot of thought into what are the overarching stories, not just for players, but of the teams uh, for the week so that we can build segments for that. Trying to think of creative ideas for segments because I always find it really boring when the segment is just kind of like, you know, uh, this team's good at this, B-roll, head-to-head. This team's good at this, yeah. B-roll, head-to-head. All right, into game. I, I find that monotonous. So I try and uh, brainstorm ideas for that, which sometimes is really productive. Sometimes I feel like I've just it, completely wasted an hour because I don't have any good ideas. All right. Um, all right, them, you know? Just like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um but yeah, so yeah, just like finding statistics, finding B-roll and all that kind of stuff for our segments, mm. finding story points, but then also a huge part of prep, I think generally speaking for most casters at a professional level is like VOD review, looking over your own cast, looking over cast for colleagues as well, because like you and I have done some VOD review together. We have done some VOD review with many other casters. I, I think Medic is probably the one that I VOD review at the most We try and do one every month if we can um and i think that that is incredibly valuable um just to get an extra perspective on your cast but also to look back over your casts because if you like, you always have moments in the cast that you thought were really good or you thought were really bad so listening back to those yeah. again and seeing actually as a listener whether or not they were good is always incredibly useful um so i would say yeah vod review is Probably the second most time-consuming part. Yeah, is if you're doing it regularly, it does take a fucking long time. And I, I think it's, I think it's something that like, like both roles will 
well, you know, people I've talked to will spend most of their time doing VOD reviews as well, right? People look at VOD reviews and a lot of the time, if Colorcast is talking about them, they think it's just about the games and like the players. But yeah. something that I think is quite hidden is that we look over our own work quite a lot. Well, I mean, there's certain casters that do and don't. I mean, I was talking about Freak, uh, talking talking with Freak uh, on this uh, a while back, I think a month ago now. And he told me like, in general, he doesn't VOD review much right whether i believe he's talking about himself as well or you know over the players um i mean he's been doing the craft for a lot longer than us um i, I think combined because he started like in 2005 or something or six like over yeah. warcraft uh so yeah i i think it's something that, that is really really time consuming especially when you want to get it right and down the pack i, I want to come back and, and talk a little bit about um your prep and your connection with the players as well because I think that's something you've really enhanced, especially over this year as you've continued, you know, learning LPL, this never-ending cycle with 17 teams, players coming from the LDL. That's a lot of them. It's a lot. <laughs> and and that's why it feels like some of them are like weaving narratives in, especially when we're doing teams like Rogue Warriors, right? Rogue Warriors versus E-Star or... Um, I don't know, like years past OMG, teams that sit at the bottom, like like old Fichi. Um, I think that's really hard. And it's something that to give a connection to the audience is something that yeah. I, I agree. Like it's really time consuming because you put so much effort in trying to be like, who is Vici Gaming J and why does he matter? And and not all the time can you draw like a really good comparison. I think that's something that, that yeah. stumps you. And it's worth adding to that as well that like, just because you spent four hours chasing a story and finding all this information does not make it interesting. No. You or have to find a way time. to make that interesting. Or worth yeah. your time. And quite often I found that I will... I'll go out of my way to try and find a player story. It will take me ages to try and find anything. Yeah. And then the interview that you do find eventually, that you have to like Google Translate and try and work out what they're saying it's just another one of these Chinese players that basically says nothing in an interview. Like so yeah. many Chinese players, the interviews, they will be like, oh, what happened at this bottom lane dive? And they're like, oh, well, we dived them. It's like, wow. That's such great insight. Uh, and you that. learn absolutely nothing. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of wasted time in that stuff. But also, like, I know I've done it. Going onto the broadcast, you've you've got some some shit that you, that you found for yourself. You bring it up on broadcast, and it's kind of like, wow. You know, now I say it out loud, that's really not that interesting. Yeah. Uh, I kind of <laughs> wish I'd uh, found a better way to approach that, honestly. Or, or but, you can, again, yeah, like, yeah. Th there can always be too much, right? Like, I think you can also seek out player narratives or, like, stories that may have existed in the past, but you're presenting them now where it's a very either different player, they're in a different team environment as well. You can spin up stories that are not relevant and, and sell a player in... Yeah. Uh, selling them in a bad way is aside the point here but selling them in a, in a way that's different to, to what they are now so i think also like getting the right information and not forcing it is a, is a neat neat trick as well um quickly before we move on to deeper into the discussion you mentioned something that we talked about last last part when you know we talked about us producing our own segments as well and this is the other thing about the LPL broadcast and about what you do. And, and Lyric came into the chat and talked about the eight-hour meetings, which is great. You know, that's always good to see. Um, <laughs> but the the making our segments as well, like it, it, it's a nice kind of two birds, one stone. Yes, that was correct. 
in the sense that it is part of the prep, right? It helps with things like narratives because you're creating your own segments and you have to find and source this information yourself. But I think it's also like equally with finding player narratives, it takes a lot of time. Like it takes, you know, three, four hours, I'd say bare minimum. Okay, maybe a little less depending on the, on the teams to actually set up these segments and, and put put your prep into them because you have to because we're producing them ourselves. Yeah. And I will say it was a lot easier two years ago when Clement was on the team yeah. uh, because because we'd go into a story meet and he'd be like, hey, by the way, this happened. Yeah. We should talk about this. It's like, oh, brilliant. I'm so good at prepping these segments. <laughs> turns out. Yeah. Turns out Clement just knew a lot of other players. Um, yeah. So it, it, it can be, it can be a pain. So like, and, and uh, Paul Zabal is saying it in chat as well. Like sometimes it's all of this stuff that you've prepped is just totally irrelevant to the game. Mm. Like I remember uh, I was prepping for an RNG series and I desperately wanted to talk about Gala. I wanted to talk about Gala's stats. I wanted to talk about how Gala is like this, this AD carry that nobody talks about that. Like he's often forgotten because it's all the Shaohu show, right? Yeah. We get into the game and this is because they'd started playing around bot side a little bit and we'd seen it a couple of games, right? It was like, oh, maybe this can be the perfect moment immediately straight back up to Shao Hu. We like the camera basically doesn't look at bot lane for the entire series. Yeah. I'm like, God, fuck. <laughs> I spent like hours getting all of this shit together. Like we don't even look at Gala the entire time. So yeah. Yeah, it, that can happen definitely. But you know, that's that's just part of the job at the end of the day. That's true. I mean look, either way, like I, I think I think us in, you know, you especially like I've I've seen you prep and I know how many hours you put in as well. Um, so this, this really all lines up, uh, let's go to more of the practical side as well. We're still talking about the role mm -hmm. and like what it is to be a play by play. Now, a lot of people out there will know that because we're talking the majority of the time, like overall, we're setting things up. We get to mid late game. We are spruiking a hell of a lot and then shouting our lungs out. Um, what do you do for your voice and like your warming up methods, your routines? Like, give me a, a lowdown of how you would prepare your voice or even some of the troubles you've had in, in, in trying to do so. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is really bad. I basically haven't been doing any warm-ups this year at all, um, which unfortunately means that after the finals, my voice was really fucked to the you point imagine. where <clears throat> for about a month, it was still kind of hurting a bit if I... If I was like shouting on stream or anything like that, my throat would start hurting again, mm. uh, which seems to have mostly gone away now. Uh, prage that I haven't completely <laughs> fucked my voice, but um, I I am actually uh, over the course of the next couple of months going to be getting some vocal training with a singing teacher to oh, try nice. and manage that because the reason I hurt my voice on finals is because my biggest weakness as a caster has been like hitting that ten out of ten when the when the crazy shit happens, like matching that right vocally mm. and. I still feel like I have work to do in that regard, but I feel like I did the best that I have in finals, um, but obviously hurt my throat in the in the act of doing so. So yeah. I clearly need to I need to start doing some warm-ups and I need to start actually using my voice correctly. So I've basically kind of uh I've been like the twisted fate of play by play shoutcasting, right? Because most mid laners have to get prio to be able to do things on the map. Twisted Fate, yeah. he cheats and he just fucks it anyway, right? So I did that with my play-by-play. -play. I just fucking Destiny down bot. But the thing is, their jungler was knocked in. He was on red buff, so he just flew in. I got fucked straight away. And uh, 
And so now I'm having a tough this, singing lesson. What is this analogy? This is like a B level analogy. <laughs> Great. So long, yeah, long story short, I haven't yeah. been doing any vocal warm-ups. Uh, okay. Let me get back to you because by the time we start next season, I will be doing vocal warm-ups. All right. It's it's hard as well. Like we, we've done, we've been doing bedroom broadcast for, yeah, you know, for the whole year essentially. I mean, yeah, to a degree for for oh, some. Essentially, of us. yeah, just just the whole year, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really hard as well because you're not. It's it's easy in the studio because it's a routine, right? We'd get there at two p.m. We'd sit there and do like prep for an hour. We'd go and get makeup done. We'd get notes out. We'd have like the last hour or whatever. We could talk about it with our co-caster. You know, I know Dagda would always start rapping or something and an Irishman rapping American music was always funny for me. Um, yep. and, and, you know, like all, all those kind of things better with routine. It, it's, it's hard as well. Like I, I reduced to only just singing like a song to kind of warm up and I, I don't feel like I was properly warming up as well. So, um, it's hard as well because I think without music training, something that I still lack as well. Like I've, I've, I've done what you talked about. I went to a, a singing teacher for a couple of months and I looked at like, I think the proper word for it is diaphragmatic breathing and, and how you um, get the voice into, you know, deep, deep into that diaphragm, use it yeah, properly. And build the habit of doing that as well. I yes. think it's the hardest part, right? Because anyone can watch YouTube videos and like, you can teach yourself in theory. I have tried. Mm. I have failed. It's not yep. something that comes naturally to me. Um, so I think just getting help with knowing how to build that habit. And and like you say, it gets a bit monotonous doing mm. vocal exercises and things like this. So I think um, when you don't directly see the results every week, right? It, yeah. it can be difficult to keep the motivation to do that every single time. It can be time. really demoralizing, yeah. So I think it's I think it's hard, and I think it's something that people, um, you know, it's it's something I've actually talked about earlier in the casting chamber when I did the first couple of episodes in Taiwan quarantine, and I remember at the end saying like as well like if you want to you know work at this, go to a music teacher, one hundred percent. They're they're perfect for things like this. If you're looking at you know being the best and you want to progress, like it's it's a necessary expense in my mind as well. Um, and um yeah towards the end as well uh, munchie i'm gonna i'm gonna there's some couple there's a question in chat as well we'll roll towards the end and we'll oh, answer sure. some of those as well at the end yeah, no joe hold hold you hold you i'm holding what do you what do hold. you hold <laughs> um let's my boobs usually oh yeah okay well glad this is like... progressing such a great way hey uh more on the practical practical stuff as well um we've already just talked about voice and how you warm up how you go through your broadcast um how you kind of get things going uh just quickly like touch up on me because I, I mentioned it before what you were like in studio versus now like we already talked about voice mm. but your process getting into a broadcast starting from the point where you arrive at 2 p.m china time broadcast starts at 5 Fill in the gaps for me, whether it's studio mandated that you have to do or, you know, you personally setting up. Yeah. So uh, I would get to the studio. Uh, I actually quite often went to the studio earlier. Um, you did. Just because uh, I find it very hard to work alone. Not, not even necessarily from home. It doesn't really matter where I am, but mm. I... I'm definitely best working with other people um, because I get really easily distracted and I get really easily just off 
off topic. So for me being like, <laughs> it's funny because I see all of these Reddit threads and stuff at the minute that are like, oh, we shouldn't have to go back to the office. Working from the office sucks. And like yeah. everyone just hates the idea of going back to the office after COVID and all this. I'm like, I want to go back to the office. Can I go to your office? Like, I just want to be near people. Yeah. Um, which I, I I feel like I'm a puppy sometimes, honestly. Um, but yeah, so I would go in quite often about midday or one o'clock, get some lunch on the way in. There was this really fucking good lunch place called Just a Bowl of Good Rice. Um, oh, God. God damn, yeah. I love that place. I desperately want to go back. Um, and they would do like just this delicious pork on top of rice and it was you know, it did what it exactly what was on the tin which is a bowl of good rice yeah. um <laughs> sorry i'm going a little bit off, off the topic okay. here. i'm just saying it, it was if you're ever good. in shanghai just find just a bowl of good rice i feel 10. like you're right next to, to shanghai for like this bloody um, well not sooning anymore yeah, weibo weibo now i'm sorry well Mangibles. it's probably not the same office but the sooning office i hope still exists and i hope sword art is still there for me to go and meet him um but he's probably not since he's not on that team anymore i'm sorry mate and that team doesn't exist um what was i saying See, this is why I have to be in an office. <laughs> you liked you liked the idea of an yeah. office. I like the idea of an office. So I would go into the office like midday, one o'clock. Um, I would sit down and what I would do is kind of like over the week or over, it was not usually a week because there was four of us. Um, over the time, uh, over the days off, basically, I would put like statistics and things that I wanted to talk about onto a document. So I would go into the office and then I would essentially formalize that document I had like a template that I would put, you know, all of the rosters on, any significant stories at the top of the document, some statistics I want to talk about, some narrative points, some, you know, like champion pools, these kinds of things. Um, so spend like, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour on that, depending on how big the series are, depending on what teams it is, depending on how much prep work I've done. Um, and also just generally hanging out with your co-caster, I think is invaluable i think it's the most yeah. underrated like prep tool that casters have is just building camaraderie and banter um like, for example when when me and lyric first started casting together uh, there was a reddit comment that was literally just i'm pretty sure these casters fucking hate you <laughs> because it was like we were trying to we were trying to banter but it was like kind of kind of aggressive banter yeah. it was like very sort of english banter where you're sort of insulting to each other yeah. and you like sort of pseudo argue um, and it did not did not come across on camera very well. Um, yeah, there's no. But yeah, so it. yeah, just just putting docs together, hanging out with your co-casters a bit, and then um, go to get makeup, which takes fucking ages. It does. Um, go put a shirt on and all of that. Go hang out with Bo or with Jinjin. Yeah, Jinjin is the coolest man I've ever met barely speaks a lick of English, but it doesn't matter because he's so cool that it's just like, even without being able to communicate, you can somehow emotionally communicate with this man. It's unbelievable. Um, for context <laughs> he, for he people, speaks a little bit of English, to be for fair. For context of people, Bo is not FPX Bo. Like, he's not doing the makeup. Like, that's not where right? he's been progressed. This is, this is Bowen. This is Bowen. Yeah, There's yeah. In, with it. I, um, I actually have no idea how you spell it. I assume B-O-E-N, but I could be I'd totally wrong. B-O-A-N is probably the... Oh, maybe, but, yeah. And, yeah. Um, um, yeah, definitely not. But yeah, definitely so not FPX, but... Makeup. 
makeup and hanging out with those guys. Yeah. And then go to the the studio itself, because obviously this is all in the big office complex from TJ. Mm. Uh, and go downstairs to the studio itself, do a quick rehearsal. In fact, we maybe even did rehearsal before makeup. I think I we remember. usually did. It depends because the Chinese, uh, another bit of context for people is the Chinese side usually got makeup first, I think. Um, and so they'd be doing yeah. their casters and then LCK casters, the Chinese LCK casters would be going first. And then the Chinese LPL casters would usually be around the same time. So we either got in early or, or had to wait for them. So yeah, yeah, usually rehearsal before, I think. And sometimes you'd meet Teddy in the makeup room and so you have to flame his predictions that's kind of part of, the, part of the rich <laughs> um but yeah no then anyway rehearsals and then you know kind of wait around until the show begins yeah talk about league of legends right simple a lot of i think a lot of the stuff as well is just you know a, a lot of studio stuff you know lpl stuff as well like your own prep i guess comes before and you know that starting yeah. part where you talk to you with your co-cast is the, the main part as well um I remember having some great moments with Dagda singing rat like all the Irish songs like Ratland Bog, you know. <laughs> yeah, I sang the Ratland Bog a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that like half an hour too. Sometimes I'd be in like a crappy mood. You know, I'd be in a really bad mood and I'd would not want to do it and then he'd start singing it and then I'm like there anyway, so um <laughs> a great way like uh, I I love that kind of stuff and especially like without, you know, shouting like it's a great way to kind of get my my vocals nice and hot so um that's great so okay voice warm-up let's 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 put that aside for the time being i want to look more about like your long-term setup for cast and your revision as well um this is something i asked freak as well and i think it's important because we are very i think in the past like lpl has been very goal focused i'm not sure how you treat this at the moment but talk to me how you set up your goals and like how you monitor them because i've talked about this a lot on casting chamber on previous casting streams as well i've talked about my document my short midterm long term um but give me an insight as to how you approach your goals or, or how maybe you do it differently or same sure um so for me i will typically try and have as i'll try and have very few goals for a specific cast, right? So mm. I'll build my goals in a um, in a VOD review. So either with someone or just by myself, go over the, the VOD. Ideally, yep. you want to do this with the person that you cast with, obviously. Um, See, because a lot of it, like, <clears throat> a lot of it you can, like, kind of say, oh, well, I, I wanted to do more of this, but I couldn't do it because uh, my co-caster was talking about this or whatever, right? When you're just on your own, where you don't have any extra context as to why they went, they chose to go down that route instead, even if you talked about something else before the games or whatever, uh, and you can end up essentially drawing to the conclusion of, ah, oh, well, there's nothing I could have done. Mm. Whereas if you're doing it with the co-caster, they can lend further context and you can decide together whether that was a good decision, whether it was a bad decision, whether you should have gone with what was planned, etc. It's always best to to do this kind of thing as a team if you can. Um, but also, if you're just looking at mechanics, doing it by yourself is good too. But anyway, I'll try and pick apart a VOD as much as I can um, and like kind of put down on paper what 
what was good, what was bad, mostly what was bad, right? Because realistically, the whole point of this is to be critical. Um, find out all the ways in which I am shit, and yeah. then essentially prioritize that list of like, okay, what am I the most shit at? So there's this really good. Um, this is re- I can't think of the actual quote itself, but is in a, in a really good uh, mentality idea from a book called The Mental Game of Poker, which I know yeah. doesn't sound relevant. But it's basically about how to, even though the basis of the book is in poker, realistically, the book is about how to improve your mindset and how to improve just in general at, at pretty much anything and how to have the correct methodology to improve. Okay. And so one of the the key things that I took away from this book is that the best way to improve consistency is not to try and build up your strengths. It's instead to try and work on your weaknesses, right? Because if you think about this is the same for playing a game. This is the same for commentary. Honestly, commentary and playing are, are like, you know how players will just randomly have a few games where they just fucking into it and everyone's like, how can you be this bad all of a sudden, yeah. right? That happens with casting too. Sometimes you just suck. Sometimes it just happens and you just suck. True. Um, the best thing that you could try and do is improve on that because you, you essentially have a range that you're going to land in between. Let's say this is your 10 and this is your one, right? Sometimes you're going to have a two. But if you can improve on your your core fundamental weaknesses, well, then you can reduce that range to True. between a, a six and a ten, right? And then once you've once you've done that, then you can start to work on your strengths again, and you push your range further, and you can slowly but surely. It's called the inchworm. This method, and you slowly but oh. surely inch this range higher and higher up the scale, so that your worst cast, after you've done this for a long enough time, is like. 10 times better than your best cast could have been yeah. uh, all that time ago. So it's a really good way to to build your consistency, but also to improve significantly over a long period of time. So, to, to sorry, just to loop around. Yeah, so yeah, that's course. why I prioritize this list on like, what is my biggest weakness? What is the gaping hole in this cast? And I'll try and set that as my priority goal for the next cast. So I'll usually have a couple of smaller goals as well, mm. but they'll generally be like one big goal that's like i need to fix this this is a problem um so i'll, I'll set that above everything else then i'll have a couple of smaller goals so let's say it's team fighting power right like hitting powerful moments in the team fights mm. well every single team fight that week i'm gonna be like maybe even overselling it maybe even overdoing it if it's not that important of a game i'll use that as essentially like sparring practice right where I will really hit every single team fight, even if it's just a small skirmish, I'll be trying to hit the power, I'll be trying to hit the big moment, even if it's not that big of a moment, just to get the reps in on doing that so I can then go back and look at that VOD and be like, okay, was I hitting the moment? Like, obviously I was going too far, but like, was I doing it well with my voice? Was I hitting the power, etc.? So um, that's the way I try and set my goals because... I find it much easier to improve if you're focusing on a specific thing. And mm. obviously you can do minor improvements around that as well. But if you can focus your efforts onto that one big thing each week, I find that over the course of a year, you see much more. Like I th- I think I improved way more this year than I did last year. And this year yeah. I've been employing this method. So I'd recommend it personally. I mean, that's that's interesting because it's very adaptive to like, because I, I mentioned at the start of the question, like, obviously how i do goal setting is is different like i do short-term mid-term long-term and you know long-term will be things like hitting worlds like or trying to you know or hit an international event right like that's very career specific as well not not specific to technique 
but short and midterm is like i'll have like a couple goals in each looking at like okay short term is what i'm going to try and do from the day to day midterm is what i'm going to try and do like over the course of a month as well um and it's, it's just interesting to see how different casters look at their approach to goals because i think the the way you do it is very like concentrated on that next cast you tick that away and then you you go back and fold review the next week and you look at like oh now i'm doing this or or i'm still doing this i can keep working on this so it's very um it's it's very like adaptive to what your cast doing and i, I think that's great um yeah it's and it, i go. so i just want to add as well um i also do like long short-term long-term mid-term but generally that's more like much more vague than my cast specific so like you're saying long term is like make worlds and mm. hit a million twitter followers and become a the million. most famous person on the planet and, holy moly know, take over the world these kinds of things yeah um, nice being a ryan reynolds movie you know that kind of thing be the next become Stephen Bond. fry's best friend you know yes become part these of you know of hugh laurie the three of you are now a trio right so yeah, <laughs> big, big goals. The Mitchell um, Webb and Fanny look. I'm just saying, it's the, there's a ring to it. I'm just saying. Open Joe's Pizzeria. Um, it, the list goes mm-hmm. on. And for goal setting as well, I think my biggest takeaway is is if the one thing you and I both have in common, because there are a couple of things, right? Short term is, is still like, you know, what we're talking about and sort of the mid range as well, is not to overload it. I think a lot of new casters will be going through, and there's going to be a lot to critique. Amateur and semi-professional casters, even like, even for for people like us, and I'm sure people like Flowers or Medic, Quick Shot, like anyone, there's still probably a lot to critique when when they're looking at themselves. But I think the key takeaway is not overloading your goal setting, starting with like some of the base fundamentals if that's where you're at looking at a couple at a time or working at, at one big thing at a time, maybe two smaller things um, rather than overloading yourself. Right. That's, that's a fair, sure. fair thing to say. And, and I, yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. And I think that especially when you're starting out, mm. it's very tempting to go to look at a VOD. Like I, I remember doing this when I was, um, you know, casting university sports, I would look yeah. at one of my VODs and I'd be like, God, I'm so shit. Um, and you, you essentially just watch like five minutes of a VOD and like almost out of embarrassment, you close it. Yep. And like, you know, it doesn't feel good to watch the VOD of you not being very good at what you want to be really good at, right? It doesn't feel good. But to quote Jake the dog, being really bad at something is the first step on the way to being kind of okay at something. All right. Yeah. So you got to get through that phase. And ultimately, if you can focus on what you think you're doing the worst, the thing that annoys you the most about that cast the next time you're casting, focus on that thing. Yeah, And it'll feel like you're not doing enough work because you're only focusing on one thing at a time, but you will not fix everything at once. Yep. And by trying to focus on everything at once, you're going to just reduce your focus on each thing. And it's like, it's like Jack of all trades, master of none, right? Try yep. and focus on what you're sucking at right now. Build that up and that'll create a foundation for you to then improve your strengths. So, um, it's really, really worth FOD reviewing. It's really, really worth setting small goals off of that and then mm. focusing in on the thing that you need to improve the most. And also like that goal setting is fun when, not fun, but also it feels more impactful as you talked about, you know, talking about it with a, a, a duo caster, like talking about it with a color caster or, or a play-by-play depending mm. on what role you are. Um, going through that journey with someone else is always good because especially someone who motivates you and pushes you to be like, okay, 
I'm going to be honest with you, that sucked, but here's how we can fix it. Or here's what we can yeah. do to make us sound better or, you, you know, you sound better. Um, duos are really yeah, so important. There's a, I've got a, a good example of this, actually, because me, mm. me and Rob were doing a lot of uh, duo VOD reviews this year together. Yep. And um, we were trying to set duo goals of like how we could work together better. So for an, an example of one was like um, setting each other up for cross-map plays. So like constantly trying to be looking at the minimap. And so when there's like trades happening, one team is heralding on one side and the other team has got an Ophelio hitting the tower on the bottom side, right? And maybe there's a skirmish going on in the river at the same time. Trying to like, trying to be aware that your co-caster also knows what's going on, right? Yeah. And so being able to not repeat each other and bounce off of each other in those high-paced situations and kind of like fastball it back to back and forth instead of just play by play monologuing for three minutes, it's like you're kind of really fast passing and it keeps the energy really high. So that was one of our goals across mm. the course this year, um, which I feel like we sort of hit, but I think there was a lot. Still, still work to be done there. Um, but we've also had arguments about certain situations where Rob had a personal goal that he wanted to like have moments in cast where it's like, here is what I have been prepping. Here's a super specific thing that I'm bringing to this cast. Here's like yeah, a bit of yeah. information that not many people know. Um, but the problem was there was this cast where there's an Elder Dragon fight literally about to happen. We've got like maybe 10 seconds before this fight kicks off. And my personal goal, one of my personal goals is get in and start ramping energy before the fight has begun. Right? Yeah. And the problem here is you end up with clashing goals. And it's something that you can, it, it's going to happen. You just have to work through that and figure out a, a way to fix that for next time as a duo. But that he was trying to have his moment of like, here's some goddamn researched information. Here's a golden nugget of beautifulness. And I'm like, Rob, shut the fuck up. Elder Dragon. <laughs> and like there's this moment on the cast where I, I thought it was kind of funny, even in hindsight, to be honest. Yeah. He did not think it was so funny because I kind of cut him off and like super simplify what he's trying to say to, just to move it on so that I can settle for yeah. it. So it was like, yeah, you know, in hindsight, it was a little bit awkward. We, we kind of debated how that works in future uh, in a VOD review of that because I thought it was kind of funny. He was kind of annoyed by it. So it's, it's <laughs> one of those things. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it, your goals can clash, but it's worth setting goals as a duo as well because I think you can improve mm. massively if you start thinking of this as a team game. You're only as good as your duo. You're only as good True. as your team. And that's not to say you have an excuse to be shit because you're with a shit caster. That's to say you've got to bring that caster up and you've got to work with them to make yep. the cast as good as it can be. That's right. Only as good as your duo is a... a something i've heard many many times and something that holds true um moving forward let's talk more about that broadcast and what what you kind of provide we talked about what a play-by-play -play is and like you know defining the role a little bit looking at your voice setting up i want to talk more about what you you think your duty is to an audience and it's okay this overlaps a little bit with what you define play-by-play but what you feel like you should be delivering to to the audience right like if someone's watching you or watching a play-by-play -play in general, like what they should be getting out of you and what you feel like your duty is mm -hmm. to to the audience? Um, so I think, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that you could approach this question, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think on, on a fundamental level, you're essentially like the translator, right? Where a lot of the stuff happening in the game is not applicable to solo queue. 
Yeah. Like competitive League of Legends and Solo Queue are essentially different games at this point. Absolutely. Uh, I'm starting to get to a point where I think there are very few similarities between the real game and Solo Queue. Um, so you're you're kind of a translator of what is happening here and why is it happening is the the very basic answer. Mm. Um, but but to me, I think the the duty of a commentator is to give the audience a reason to care. Like, why should you give a shit about what we're watching right now? Right. My job is to tell you that I'm essentially a salesperson for these players, for these teams, for this league, and for the for the game itself. Yeah. And so this is why I have such a heavy focus on on stories and on players specifically as well. Because I, I have a personal sort of uh, mantra. I think I I mentioned the first mantra in the first episode. So this is the second mantra, and that's that people follow players, not sports, right? True. And so for me, my my biggest responsibility is to try and give people an insight into who these players are, not just in terms of like how they are playing right now, but also in terms of their history and in terms of like maybe who they are as people, if there's something that's relevant and that we can bring into the commentary. And like, I think one of the best casters to look at, in fact, two of the best casters to look at in terms of this stuff uh, were Monte Cristo and Papa Smithy. I think were fantastic at telling you a story of the history of these players and like digging yeah. into that a little bit more. Um, to to build a connection between the audience and the players because I think that's one of the things. I mean, look at Chovy, right? Chovy is a player that has been, reasonably speaking, unsuccessful. Like mm. in the grand scheme of of competitive sports, if you're not winning, you're not successful, right? That's that's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, but as a player, his profile is huge, and obviously it helps that he's a fucking international superstar in terms of his talent. Um, but but the amount of backstory there is to Chovy, the amount of people that know about Chovy is is thanks to people telling his story and spreading the word about how great this guy is and, and how good he is at League of Legends. Um, so I think there's, I, I like Icon, for example. Icon this year, a lot of casters, you hear them talking about how it's his first ever Worlds after years and years of competing, right? Mm. This kind of stuff, I think, is invaluable. Um, and anytime you can find those kind of bits of information, super, super valuable uh, to a caster to have um, because I think when it comes to like let, let's say a team is about to be knocked out of the LPL right not obviously there's no relegation but only the top 10 teams make it to playoffs if it's um, trying to think of teams in the LPL like OMG became a team that people wanted to make playoffs because you got Cream, this fresh rookie that's got this incredible talent in the mid lane, plays assassins. It's an exciting team to watch because they skirmish. Well, a lot of viewers, this is going to sound a little bit offensive. A lot of viewers can't tell the difference between teams. If you took the nameplates off, they wouldn't know which team was which, right? They don't really know its play styles. They just enjoy watching the game. And that's yeah. perfectly fine, right? But if you do a good job of building these teams and these players up, well, then the viewer has something to be excited about, something to look towards. Like, Viewers know that OMG like to skirmish and that Kareem always plays assassins because every single OMG game we say, this is a team that likes to skirmish. Here are some statistics. This is a player that loves to play assassins. His LeBlanc is insane. We want to see his Kiana, blah, 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 right? Like Teachamar, another player who realistically, Teachamar is the best example I have of a player that is not actually that good at League of Legends in the grand scheme of professional players. He's Obviously, not, he's he's a lot better than like, I am. He's stuck in like No flame, Teachamar. If you're watching this, let's hang out. Let's get a pizza, dude. I love you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious okay. though. Teach my like, let's do a stream or something. Uh, 
<laughs> but like he's a player that had a super individual style and yeah. even though he wasn't super good like Chobi or cream or one of these players that like caps for example like of course he's going to get a big profile because he's an exceptional mm. player but because teach had a, this this style where he always wants to play global picks where he can go and influence the side lanes it's like this is the reason i fell in love with morgan as well because he was like fuck the laning phase i'm gonna tp bot and i'm gonna At get level three here. renekton or, or something yeah sorry. right yeah yeah right and that was exciting and so trying to build those stories this is the reason i love we because mm. it's a different style and like it's True. my job to figure out these styles and these identities of the teams and put that across to the audience give them a reason to give a shit about the teams that are playing today and i think that that is the that's the ultimate duty that we have as, yep. as commentators is to find those interesting and exciting stories and moments and and sell those to the audience so that they can get invested in these teams and these leagues like we are and i think the one thing to pull out as well is i know you talked about this in level with production is that a lot of new commentators feel like uh, they, they they go beyond this and they think that their duty is to be you know funny it's 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 duty to be like as as a caster to you know be wise or or funny or witty or whatever and they think more about themselves and coming back to the point you made where you talked about it from a production standpoint but i think all over you know the show comes first like the, it is about the show it is not about you it starts with the players and then the teams and then you know you can work your way out and sure it's like the, the quality of casting is important but you as a caster you're there to 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 support yeah. the show you're you're a piece of the show you know you don't yeah. you don't come above no one comes above the show really so it's just I, coming back to that point it lines up with this yeah and i think it's that's something that is easy to forget as mm. a commentator right because ultimately you're you're in the spotlight you're, you're you in front of the show and uh you know there's a long storied history of um talent on shows not just in esports but in television in general even in just in showbiz of um you know talent believing that they are bigger than the project and that causing massive issues right uh i, I don't think that problem's ever going to go away um the ego is the enemy as it were yeah um and i think that there's a lot of ego casting in esports where because i, I think right we're at a weird impasse in esports this is a bit of a tangent if that's okay but no go 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 we're at this point in esports where a lot of people are hiring not because you're a good commentator but because you are an influencer and so we're sort of at an impasse where mm. these companies that are hiring commentators need to decide what they actually want from their commentators because there are commentators out there that are exceptionally good at their jobs that are incredible to commentators that will give you a really premium product there are also commentators out there that not not that they're not good at commentary but that's not their focus that's not the thing that they care about they don't vod review regularly they don't care about improving as a commentator what they care about is doing more content and doing more um ways of engaging with the audience and becoming more of an influencer mm. and i'm not trying to belittle that that choice right because i i do a lot of this stuff as well it's i it is important also ultimately it's kind of mandatory these days uh to do at least some of this um but the problem that i see and this is something that i ran into because i did a bit of talent management when i was at esl and esp yeah is that quite often um like rates of 
of pay in esports can be based on things like social reach, right? They Which are majority fantastic. of the time. A lot of the time they are. Yeah. And not all the time, but a lot of the time. Um, and I think that that can be a huge problem, right? Because on the one hand, yes, if you're a small show, if your channel does not have a following, like, yeah, ultimately you're trying to hire influencers so people will watch your show, right? So yeah. fair enough. You don't really want commentators. What you want is pull for your show. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to run, if you already have the viewership, right? You want to hire proper commentators but it's very difficult if you're in the production position unless you have hours of time to just watch vods of these commentators because likely like let me give you an example like this happened to me at esp we're running white label productions i don't know the commentators from world of tanks right i don't even know world of tanks so how am i meant to discern which of these commentators is good in terms of analysis for yeah. world of tanks it's practically impossible for me unless i have someone to talk to but even then obviously they're going to have inherent biases of who they recommend they're just going to recommend their friends because that's how humans work um so it's a very very difficult job of trying to establish who is actually good at their job versus who's just popular in the community right um, and i think that that's one of these weird conundrums that is going to start to sometimes affect the quality of broadcasts um because I think that we can end up in a situation where the people that are working on commentary as an art are kind of pushed to the side because they don't necessarily have the social following. They don't necessarily have the same like amount of Twitch subscribers, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're not going to get pulled on because they're not yeah. just saying the thing that will get kicked W's in Twitch chat, right? They're saying the thing that's important for building the stories. So, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years how commentary continues to change because it's already becoming more and more important how much of an influencer you are and how much of a comedian you are and how much that's true. of just an entertainer you are, which makes sense, right? Because that's kind of how TV works as well. We when you listen to sports commentary, we are entertainers. But usually there's a bit of a divide, right? Where the, the kind of entertainers are usually on the desk. They're usually mm. the guys that are talking in halftime and you know, that kind of thing. When you listen to the actual comment, at least in England, when you listen to the commentary on a football game, there's very little personality. And it's intentional because the whole point is that, I mean, maybe this is British television, but I think it's the goal is to be as inoffensive as possible. Like try yeah. try your best not to offend anyone. Uh, so you, you really don't have much room for personality in that scenario. Um, but I am curious where we end up with that in esports because I don't think it'll go that way. I think it will go the American route and I think it will become more and more important to be just a celebrity as opposed to a great commentator. Yeah, because uh, coming coming back to it, like the way I was always hired in Australia or whatever was, I don't know, I, I, I think about before I got LPL and like as a contractor, I was picked up because I was doing a lot of commentary or I was working a lot with ESL. Like I, you know, was becoming one of the top commentators in, in Oz. And I'm trying to think if my influence had anything to do with it. I'm thinking no, but I know that things like pay scale and like, you know, your, your day rate is easy to, to leverage when you have influence, when you have social media following, when you, you have that influence you're talking about as well. I think a lot of the time it is based on that rather than, yeah. you know, the experience, the, <laughs> the time commentating, et cetera, et cetera. And the funny thing to me as well is that, 
You know, at the top end, I understand it. If I'm, I don't know, let's say I work for Monster and I'm yeah. trying to hire for some gig that I'm doing, right? Of course, I'm going to pay more money if you've got half a million Twitter followers. Yeah. Like, obviously, if you're getting the engagement, you're going to bring viewers. Fantastic. That's what I'm paying for. Yeah. The funny thing to me is that in like tier three Counter Strike events, they'll change their pay based on whether or not you have 5,000 Twitter followers versus 4,000 Twitter followers. Motherfucker, neither of these guys is bring viewership in. Like, yeah. <laughs> unless you've got like almost 100,000 followers on Twitter, realistically, you're just you know, you know, really not, bringing anyone. That's right. Not mind blowing, right? You're not going to bring you, unless you're a regular Twitch streamer or a YouTuber or something like this, where yep. you actively bring viewers to a platform already. Like the, the transition there is not, or the, the, I can't think of the word, but you know, the, the link there is not as substantial as people seem to think that it is. And I, I think a lot of money is wasted in esports on yep. completely inane statistics <laughs> a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, agreed. And um, just a, a quick comment from Initialize in, in, in Twitch chat as well, talking about how rugby has a bit more personality in the commentary box. I agree. Australian rugby, I can agree on this as well. There is like a bit of personality in there, but yeah, it is focused on good game commentary rather than personality. Um, I could even say like if esports goes that way, I think it's fine where I, I do like that in League of Legends, like people like, and this is not a throw to any other colors out there, people like Lyric and Cadrill exist where sure they have good influence but they're brought in and i know this is like a tangent within a tangent they they okay cage will probably cage brings in a lot of viewers like he has a huge huge brand as well but he's also been brought in because he knows a lot about the game as well and i always i always love things like that because it's like you're bringing in people who are experts at their at their trade which on the color side is knowing about knowing about the game knowing yeah. about the the small parts but i would i would I would tie that into what we were talking about before, where when you look at the way that those two guys commentate, ultimately they bring a, a similar level of analysis, right? Yeah. In, in different ways as well. They have different strengths, but the way that Cadrell talks to the audience is much more on that left-hand side I was talking about where like he is ultimately a celebrity within esports. Yeah. And he does, he'll say things that he knows are going to get Keck W's out of Twitch chat. He even has a Twitch emote of a Keck W tractor, right? Because that, <laughs> yeah. that is his brand at this point, right? Hanging out with yeah. Twitch chat, watching the pros, et cetera, et cetera. Like he's built a huge brand around that. And yeah. so I, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing that he does that. What I'm saying is like, when you listen to him cast and when you listen to Lyric cast, it's two totally different styles of commentary, despite that's the fact true. that they're both bringing really high level analysis and, and giving you a really good insight onto the game and to what the players would be thinking. And they've both been behind the scenes within teams, right? The way that they approach how to do that and the way that they inject humor into a cast totally different from one another so i think that's a, a mm. really interesting comparison because you're right they are very similar level knowledge wise but totally different approach commentary true. wise true and i i love you know bringing up the the meme side as well because i think uh, on cadrill's side he has really good balance not to say that lyric doesn't either i think lyric is, he's been casting for two years and coming from a coach side uh, has it been two years yet it's yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, he came a little late in year one, but let's be honest, that was a power was, year. So that, that was. I'd say that counts as a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, true. All, all in one with with six days a week of LPL or seven. I can't remember. That was a uh, that was wild. Um, moving on as well, because uh, I've got a couple uh, a couple more about this as well uh, about how our role kind of lines up. 
I want to look more about what you do for your color caster because you just told me your 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 duty to the audience, and we went off and talked about you know what's kind of happening with broadcasters and commentators because that that duty to to the audience I think is is being skewed by employers a little bit because they're, they're not looking at you know um at hard commentators but going even further than that I, I want you to talk to me about your duty or your role to your color caster this time and how you'd kind of describe that partnership in your cast um because you out of like you know let's be quite real you and dagda in 2020 like you live together through all that and you guys cast a hell of a lot together yeah. you've done it in 2021 as well um you've developed a very good duo so i think this question to you is going to be quite um quite revealing as well into what you think your duty is to your color caster um so there's there's an extent to which your duty is always going to be like don't fuck them over right yeah. I think there was a really great example of this in the most recent uh, World Series where it was Dracos, Cadrell, and Kobe. And Kobe <laughs> says, oh, yeah, they can let... It's Dragon number three. It's Cloud Drake. They're like, cycle. they can let the enemy team take this Drake to cycle it so they can go for a bit of soul. <laughs> and Cadrell yeah. and Dracos are like, uh, uh, do we say anything? Nah, let's yeah. just let's just play it play it cool uh, and then a minute later kobe goes i'm a fucking idiot yeah you can't cycle drakes what am i saying that yeah. was a long time ago <laughs> and, and, and they all have a laugh about it and move on but the, the key thing that i want to highlight there is that even though that's a really egregious mistake and clearly mm. obviously wrong like they don't go out of their way to be like kobe you're a fucking idiot right and I think that just having your duo's back is important. And if it's something that's like really egregious, maybe it's worth just going, yeah. And you know, on the other side of that could be like this as well. And like trying to offer it as an alternative opinion as yeah. opposed to just correcting someone. Like yeah. you always want to have your co-casters back because ultimately it's a team game. You want to be working as a team. Um, and if you do that kind of thing often, like, it's gonna grate on the, the like the general relationship within the cast as well. Like if you're being kind of a dick to your co-caster, they're not gonna want to cast with you. It's gonna lose the fun out of the cast. Like there's there's a lot of extra factors there. I think, um, but on top of that as well, like I think what Frascarian said to you before um, is is very poignant here in that, like as a play by play, a lot of the time I'll be messaging Lyric or Dagda before our cast saying like, hey what do you want me to set you up for? What what can I do for you? And whether it's talking about... So one of the examples of me and Rob, uh, when we were improving our cast this year, one of our big working points was um, trying to improve early game structure. Yeah. So I would spend... I would go out of my way in the early game to go to Rob and be like, talk to me about jungle pathing. Talk to me about lane priorities. Talk, talk to me about what team fights are going to look like in the late game. Talk to me about who's going to win in the mid game, et cetera, et cetera, right? so that we could get all of that stuff out of the way and have a bit more freedom in the conversation later on. But Rob wanted to nail that shit early yeah. so that we could then take the conversation where we wanted and kind of have that foundation to work off of. So it's about talking to your color caster and knowing what their strengths are. Like, for example, uh, I don't know, Lyric, I, I'm sorry if you don't want me to tell everyone this, but I'm going to tell everyone this. Do it anyway. Um, 
<laughs> Lyric's the kind of color caster that doesn't really want to talk about bot lane. Not that he can't talk about bot lane, but he's not really interested in bot lane. He wants to talk yeah. about mid laners. He wants to talk about junglers. He wants to talk about top laners. So as and when we're in a cast together, unless it's a bot lane focused game, unless it's a series where it's like clearly the bot lane is going to be everything, I will always talk about mid laners or junglers or top laners. I will always try and set up the top side of the map for Lyric because mm. that's what he's interested in. And ultimately, the conversation... And therefore, the cast is going to be way better if we're talking about stuff that he actually wants to talk about. Otherwise, yeah. it's just an interview, right? Like, if I'm just asking questions that my color caster doesn't want to answer, it's essentially an interview, right? And that's not how you get a conversation started. So um, I think just finding out what they're good at, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and trying to play towards that, trying to set them up to shine. If you can make everyone else on the show look good, you're going to look good by default. So that's true. I think that's the best way to approach it. And I would say that's your biggest uh, responsibility to your co-caster. And I'd also say like there's been casters historically who've done this really well. I think I always go back and, and you're, Munch, you're a good example of this actually. I think your line in history is a very good example of setting your colors up to be the best they can be. Um, and also because you have a bit more game knowledge than the average play-by-play -play. i feel like you utilize that well and you don't take their points but rather you you can set up like better direction if you want to go deeper in a point or if you want to go towards something else that you know they're comfortable with um i go back in time and i think of casters like quickshot right where i think historically quickshot has been the best one in doing this this is my opinion um and why i looked at him so much because Deficio was a it was knowledgeable as a caster, but I don't think he would have sounded anywhere near as good as he sounded in the end if he didn't have someone like Quickshot to set him up and know those interests and look at his strengths and really push them to an audience. Um, yeah. I think he did that really well with with Crepo in the past as well when Quickshot and Crepo worked together too, um, making them sound better than than they already sound. Right? I think there's specific casters that do it do it quite well. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, Quickshot is the guy that I watched probably the most pods of. Mm. Um, he, he has been the the caster that I've tried to build my commentary around. So that's kind of funny that you make that comparison because that is yeah. literally <laughs> the guy I've been trying to emulate. Um, and I, I totally agree that he, it's all about that setup and it's all about like, it, it's not just like when you listen to Quickshot casting and he asks a pretty niche question about something. I know it sounds really off the cuff and, and like he's, you know, curious about this. Probably spoke to his commentator before that cast and yeah. they wanted to talk about this topic. And he's incredibly good at finding ways to very smoothly segue the conversation into that topic. And that's one of the things I'm trying to work on is like how smoothly I can position the conversation into a topic because there's, there's an art to that. Like the yeah. reason that uh, when when commentators get criticized for like narratives and stuff like this often it's because it was shoehorned they just went all right narrative one yeah there is an art to being able to like, gradually bring a conversation around to the point that you want to make and i think quickshot is is the best in the business of that yeah knowing knowing when your color commentator on that note as well like will give you that room i think that's something you worked really well with dagda where you know you don't need to shoehorn it just slides in because you know, Dagger a lot of the time will bring up bring up um, narrative points as well, like quite slyly where you can expand on it or, or vice versa where he's happy to yeah. do so. Um, with Lyric quite a lot. 
I noticed like it was giga game related and I actually had to pull back and find some narrative because I had none at all. We were so game related. It was like, because I was just like, this guy knows so much about the game. Let's keep talking about comps. Dude, this trade mid, like, is it meant to go that way? Oh, no. Oh, we've seen this before. Oh, you know, I mean, you go deeper and deeper. Um, so there's always... Yeah, always a balance, but talking to your co-caster is, is a big takeaway from that as well. And I, I like that you've kind of yeah. perfectly defined what your role is to your color caster because at the end of the day, as a play-by-play, -play, you're part of that partnership, but you're also, a lot of the time, you know, they they lean on you a bit. As, as a play-by-play, yeah. -play, you get lent on by your color, and I think that's perfectly natural. You can also lean on your color in, in a similar regard where for information yeah. for for flow too. And also... But, also, just like like I was saying, you've got to have each mm. other's backs, right? Sometimes yeah. your brain goes blank. Sometimes you just don't have anything to say. Yeah. Sometimes someone brings up a topic of conversation. I mean, this is outside of casting as well. Sometimes someone brings up a topic of conversation. You just don't have anything to say about that, right? Yeah. It happens. And like sometimes I'll bring up a dud question or whatever. Like you got to be there to have your, co your co-casters back. Like, on the yeah. opposite side of that question you asked me of like what's the responsibility well for colors sometimes your play-by-play -play is gonna be the monkey brain play-by-play -play that you know him to be yeah. he's gonna say something stupid or he's gonna ask a dumb question or whatever you kind of have to entertain that to some extent yeah. and maybe you're like you know lyric maybe you're not interested in bot lane but god damn it it's one fong versus jackie love and i'll be damned if i'm not talking about this bot lane yeah. matchup, you know and sometimes you do just have to go down the rabbit hole a little bit with your co-caster and that's and, and if you know, that's part of the beauty of it. That's part of the beauty of the relationship. And if you don't know something as well, you could like, I, I've I've been even more forward with my cast and I'd be like, you know, I actually don't know about that. Like I'll say it on broadcast or whatever because sometimes mm. it's it's nice to be honest. Um, and I also think about, I don't know if you've seen IT Crowd. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and I think of Douglas and there's a scene in it where if people haven't seen, you know, he shoots himself in the leg, he goes to the meeting and the feeds get crossed and there's like a tradesman like peeing in a bathtub instead of like the Asian businessman they were meant to be talking to. And they're all watching it. The feed cuts and he stops. He goes, lots to think about there. You know, <laughs> just like, <laughs> I, I think like sometimes when the color cast is talking and I go, I, cause Lyric goes some crazy place. And I'm like, yeah, lots to think about there. Like, I don't know what's going on. It happens. Um, yeah, it really does. Yeah. And I think also, just a random slight aside of like just the, I, I don't know if like this is winding up and I can just go on tangents, but like if you are a caster, if you are trying yeah. to get better as a caster, you want to know the number one thing that all casters fucking suck at? Just mm. listening to the other dude on the commentary. So often yes. I listen to casters, especially at an amateur level, and people are just waiting for their turn to talk because they've chosen to get into commentary. So the odds are they love the sound of their own voice, right? I don't know a single commentator that doesn't like talking, right? Mm. Obviously. Yeah. And that's not an insult. Like, that probably means that you're the kind of personality that is going to work as a commentator. But God damn it, you need to have a conversation with your co-caster. You do. If, if they're talking about, like, it's like you're saying. Sometimes Lyric will go on a, a big thing about something or, or Dagda will go off and down a rabbit hole of talking about the minutiae of a matchup. Like, one of the things I pride myself on as a commentator is following what they're talking about and being able to ask either a follow-up question or add a little bit of insight myself, right? And and like make that a conversation instead of just letting it sit and then transition away. Because yeah. I think that 
that is the crux of these like shoehorn transitions that we've been talking about all episode, right? Is when you haven't listened to what they were saying and you've just got your next point ready. And sometimes you do need to do that. Sometimes there's a graphic that production is going to bring in. Sometimes there's a sponsor segment, whatever, right? But generally speaking, if you can follow on, even if you're going to segue, at least be like, yeah, man, that the heart, oh, Ezreal's E, right? God, the interactions mm-hmm. on that, they're limitless. Go check out Vanderil's YouTube channel. You'll see thousands of them. Uh, speaking of Ezreal, on the other side of the bottom lane, let's talk about Jackie, though, or, you know, whatever it mm. is, right? There are ways to transition away from a conversation while still acknowledging that the conversation has happened and adding yeah. something to that conversation because otherwise it just feels so robotic and that's where your, your energy just dies. It's like those little gaps of you just waiting to speak instead of listening to your co-commentator, it's like a little vacuum and all of the energy just pours itself into that little vacuum. Because so I, I feel like I, I, I'm I definitely someone who, I'm not sure if I'm the most in the team, but I, I feel like I'm someone in the past and even now who active listening like can sometimes be really hard for me. Um, you definitely you definitely do it the best. Lyrics just said all three of us are now listening. Um, so, know. you know... I would say that's one of my big weaknesses as well, to be honest. I just can't concentrate for long enough. Yeah, it's hard. I won't stop talking, man. But <laughs> extracting extracting information out of what they're saying and, like, finding the interest is a big thing. And I think there are degrees of it, right, where, like, we'll drop the ball, like, every now and then or, or you know, I'll talk personally, like, I'll, I'll, I'll lose a sentence here and there. But the majority of the time, you know, I, I feel like with my better cast, I am actively listening. But you're right, amateur cast as well. It's like it's always about whose turn it is to speak. And I think that's something that um, anyone who is starting out in casting, like if you get that down, if you get that conversation down and part of it's building rapport and knowing what they want to speak about like we've already gone through. But if you're listening and you're having that conversation, you are better than 90% of other amateur casters already. Like it is something that is so undervalued as a skill and... People just want to hear people having a yeah. good time and chatting and about their favorite game, right? Or about one of their favorite games. Yeah. And in that sense as well, it's like you show that you're interested not only in the game, but the players who are playing it on screen as well and in the in the show itself. So another part of yeah. not being above the broadcast. If, there was, if there's three things that I would say you need to nail as an mm. amateur caster, here are the three right. things. Okay. First off, active listening and just being able to have a conversation with your co-caster. It's absolutely crucial, as Jake's just saying. Second thing, pop the fuck off. Don't sound like you're in your parents' uh, upstairs bedroom. Even if you are, don't let the audience know that. Yeah. Just pop the fuck off like you're in a stadium. Because when shit's going down, you've got to be excited. Because if yeah. you're not excited, the audience ain't excited. And then the final thing is just have fun. I know that sounds really yeah. cliche, but so many commentators sound like a deer in headlights. Just enjoy yourself yeah vibe with it you know have a good conversation with your co-caster set them up as much as you can pop off when you need to you're gonna have a great cast true i like the simple thank you for rounding that up i've got a couple of questions that i want to end with before we close this one out um because i feel like this has been this has been like really educational and there's a lot of good takeaways here for you know even semi-professional casters um and and for myself as well. Before I ask these questions, I just want to say that like, you never stop learning as a caster. That's one thing that like you're never perfect. It doesn't matter if you're you know even someone like Flowers, 
like i i know like the work he puts in consistently and i i'm sure that guy's like level of prep his development is always there because it doesn't matter if you're the best or you know you're up there or you're a, a premier league caster you can always get better you can always develop and as soon as you stagnate the audience will notice of course you'll notice your co-casters will notice and it's it's disingenuous to to your craft so yeah. you can always develop and, and you should never be thinking that you can just get by by lulling so. yeah and it, it, it sucks to listen to commentators that you know are better than they are commentating because it's very relatable like we've all had like i was saying before you can be inconsistent as a commentator just like mm. and as a player and it sucks listening to someone when you know that they can do much better and sometimes it's not that they're not putting the putting the work in sometimes it's just not happening right now yeah um but sometimes you know it's because they're not putting the work in and sometimes you know that they're just being a bit lazy and it's just yeah. like bro come on we yeah. can all see a mile away like yeah it's not as sneaky as you think it is um it's when you've watched enough commentary you 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 notice flaws in absolutely everyone's casts if you're yep. like that. that's right you can you can pull them apart um right yep. question time so jared earlier on uh, who's been in the chat for quite a bit, asked this question. He was talking about remote broadcasts and, and you know, when we were talking about 2020, we were we were remote for the whole year. Um, Lyric and I were traveling between Hong Kong and Taiwan. I actually think that, that 20... Sorry, that was 2020 in China. 2021 was also fully remote. Um, where That's when we were between Hong Kong and, and Taiwan and was one of the worst splits for me personally as well. Um, yeah. Speaking of the remote broadcast, what positive effects do you think there have been? The increased number of people across different countries of casters has certainly been cool for different perspectives. Because looking at this straight away, positive effects for remote broadcasts, I would say for me, have been very slim. I, I, I don't look at many positives and that's, that's the truth. Like I love studio casting. I love the energy. I love being in an arena. Remote has been, I guess, I don't know. Have you had any positive effects from it? Uh, Family? Not really. I mean, I'm in Europe, which is nice. Um, yeah. I get I get occasional freelance gigs while I'm in Europe, so that's great. Um, but I would have been in Europe for the off-season anyway, so that's not really changed much. Mm. Like, being in, a, being in a studio is just infinitely better. Like, I, I guess one of the side effects is I've bought a banger PC setup. <laughs> Which isn't really. I mean, it's because I'm remote casting, but it's also just because I wanted to buy it. Really, let's be honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like casting at home, it's very, very difficult to build the same energy that you can in a studio. Like it is. trying to communicate with your co-caster in a cast while you're not next to each other is oh, fucking God. impossible, man. Yeah. Like that's one of the big things that I'm going to try and work on for next year is like we need to figure out a system that yeah that, you know whatever we'll, we'll we'll get to that but yeah i don't know um remote casting kind of fucking sucks i'll be honest but being in europe is nice at least being in the uk um means i get to see my dog which is very yeah. nice i get to hang out with my family i, I get my meals cooked for me which is real nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah generally speaking the positives of remote casting are few and far between yeah i i think it's you know it, being with family and and for me being back in australia where i'm not 
you know, country hopping and, and having visa problems. And that, that was very stress stressful. And it did affect my cast in 2021 spring. Like I, I felt like I had the worst split I've ever had and it was really rough. Um, but, and, and, and Lithy came in and said that the only upside is you get more gigs you can do, you can do without traveling. And for me, like That's I, true. like true. if I was still, I guess, available in Australia at, at the time, it would have been there, but doing LPL seven days a week, at least until the season ends and the, and the contract ends, like I can't really do that anyway. Um, yeah. But it's really hard to do any freelance. Like we, I've been able to do a tiny bit, but it's yeah. like, it needs to be like maybe a one day event. And even then yeah. you have to ask them to like rearrange the schedule for you. And it's a bit of a nightmare. It's, and and it's also like COVID still exists. So at least here in Australia, like yeah. a lot of events are either not running or then they're being done from home broadcast anyway. And it's um, yeah, yeah, quite difficult. Yeah. Um, Lifey also asked, what would you say is the optimal way of going about selling yourself? I see that people have a highlight reel and others just drop a full cast VOD. Well, Munchables, um, this is definitely easy to start start on. Yeah, so I, I can't remember if I said this in the last episode or if I'm thinking of a different conversation, but I'll just reiterate in case. Um, I've worked as a producer. I, I mentioned on this episode, like I was trying to find World of Tanks casters. Like, yep. it's fucking impossible. Um, I cast that, by the way. There's a there's a high likelihood that the producer of the show that you're applying for does not know league of legends super well mm. unless they're working in lec or lcs or something they probably don't produce league of legends very regularly unless you're lucky so sending them a full vod they're not gonna watch 45 minutes i fucking like, hate that they don't have time for that shit man like even if you want to send them something from a vod at least send a clip of like the team fight that you cast or like yep. here's a bit where i went really in depth but Generally speaking, a showreel is always going to be better. Try and keep it high energy. Try and like make it, make it so that they want to watch the video. Is make it as entertaining as you can of a video, um, and that's going to do all kinds of favors for you. That you can get creative with it as well. It doesn't just have to be like, um, here are clips of me commentating. Like if you've done content outside of that, include that kind of thing. You could even do it like, uh, you know how there's like these video CVs where someone presents their shit and it's like really cringy. Well, you could do some kind of meme on that where you present each clip. That might mm. be a terrible idea, but like, you know, get creative with the way that you're approaching doing a show. Really. It doesn't have to just be boring. Uh, and the less boring Agreed. it is probably better within reason. Uh, it still needs to be functional. Um, but yeah, the best way to sell yourself is honestly just be honest, actually assess what you are good at. Like yeah. if you don't know what you're good at or what you're bad at, nobody knows what you're good at and what you're bad at. Like most people will not know what you're good at and bad at. And even the people on Reddit who think that they know what you're good at and bad at are probably wrong. Um, so make sure that you've assessed your strengths and weaknesses so that you can talk in depth about that stuff. Because like, let's say you get in a call and they're like, why should I hire you? Well, maybe you only have 200 followers on Twitter. So that's not a very good argument. You don't have a YouTube following. You don't have a Twitch following. So, okay, wh why should he hire you? You need yeah. to know the answer to that question. And the best way to get an answer for that is to know what you're good at, what you're going to bring to that broadcast that nobody else brings. So I'll I also, those are the two big things. I'll also say, like, coming back to full cast VOD, don't, don't ever do that. I, I'm going to be more hard. Like, I've said this in previous episodes of the Casting Chamber. I've said this to people who DM me on Twitter because recently 
as you guys know, LPL's gone out and put a post out on Twitter saying they're looking for casters for the future. Um, if you send someone a full VOD, whether they're a producer or even another caster, like let's say for a VOD review, right? I will go back and like, I won't look at it. I'll either, maybe I'll look at a bit of it, but I'll, it's not fair on anyone's time to send them a full VOD, a two, three hour VOD of casting. And for Especially them to sit if they there. don't know you. Like, if I don't know you, wh why, why, why should I watch three hours of your That's right. casting? Right. Like, think about it from the other person's perspective. They have a life too. And it's not that they're being a dick necessarily. Like, but if you can say, hey, can you watch this team fight and give me feedback on that? Absolutely. That's yeah. two minutes of my time. No worries. Give it That's time. That's just like... me doing you a favor. Yeah. But like, if you send me an hour long video and go, hey, watch this and tell me all of my problems. You yeah. watch it and tell you all your problems. That's you do right. a lot of <laughs> like <laughs> that's you're, you're asking too much, especially if you don't know them. If you know them, it's a different yeah. story, right? Depends on your relationship. But like out of the blue, I'm not gonna watch it out and, on feed, bro. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's it's fine. Like sending a full vod. Maybe if if you're applying for something and, and coming back to the question of Lighty saying selling yourself, selling yourself is completely different to you know looking for feedback, of course. Um, if you're selling yourself, I would always recommend a highlight reel. I did one for the LPL application in tw late 2018. Put together something that that shows different skills. Munchbull's talking about before, be unique, right? Like, do you do hosting? Do you do content? Don't give me all the same shouting. I, I got a DM recently where it's like all the same. It sounds exactly the same for five minutes of a highlight reel. And I go, well, where's the variety? Where's the change? Show that you're adaptable. Show that you... You know, you're showing me, sure, your best skill, but you need more than that. So yeah. um, coming coming back to the it, whole package, you, you do, you do. And if like, I would never recommend if you're applying for something, giving a VOD link. And even if it's a timed VOD link, um, I think VOD links are only okay when one, they've got a time code. And, and as Munchbull said, asking for specific advice and two, looking like at doing a VOD review, you know, that's, that's, that's completely it. Um, I think highlight reel for sure that's the best way to sell yourself much will said be honest with it as well i couldn't agree more yeah. um yeah be honest and uh yeah, just just tell them actually who you are and, and why they should hire you and if yeah. you know the answers to those questions then maybe that's good enough and maybe it's not because maybe they've got medic also applying right you never know who else is applying for the job and also i'm gonna be totally honest the best caster does not always get the gig not yeah. how it works um so it sometimes it does just suck but if you're honest and you you tell them what you're good at and you actually know what you're good at then that'll get you gigs and i i think as well um i think as well like if you apply for something and and people go well this person's good but we're gonna hire this other person remember that when they come back around they'll go like remember last time we had this applicant like we've we've done that before you know, I, I, without naming any names, like there, there is a couple of people in the LPL team who have come back around interviews who now work on, on the product. I'm not going to name, people can guess, whatever. And it wasn't that they were bad casters at the time. There was just someone more suitable. And we've come back around a year later and it's been like, hey, th th you know, they're, they're good for the team now and they've gotten work. So being memorable as well with, with not only your interview but with like something like a highlight reel has multiple uses not if you if you don't get the job the first time it could still happen again i think mm -hmm. yeah so for sure. 
it's 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 about being persistent right and consistently mm. staying at it because you're not going to get every gig it's as simple as that and like that's right i was i was trying to get on a major region for six years i think before i got onto a major region so yeah um it's about persistence at the end of the day I mean, even I, if you I... look like this you can make it oh wow so if you if you guys aren't as attractive as munchables i'm, I'm so sorry um yeah yeah if you, this is par like nose like this there's only so much you can do just shitting on yourself god um you know on, on that note as well like i remember 2015 to 2019 i mean i tried to get into opl i never got opl and i got lpl before i got the ma the major broadcast in oceania so being persistent and trying to trying to impress and um go through that uh much that's it uh we've we've gone through questions um thank you for coming back and actually thanks for having me back hey we now have four hours of munchables content in total so not not a bad way to go um give us a plug tell us what you're doing in the future like whether you're doing more bevies or any more content um give us a bit of a plug and tell us what's next especially in the off season because we have holy shit we actually only have like two months until lpl starts technically two months in a bit that's stupid. It's crazy it's that's crazy stupid. yeah so uh two months of off season ahead of us um yep. i will be doing some content on my twitch and on my youtube channel so nice. go subscribe on both don't just follow the twitch subscribe to it tier three um or else um no but uh so i'll be doing some single player games and stuff like that i'm going to be trying to do some lpl content as well so i'm planning on doing a video where we talk about potential roster moves that we think could happen for the next year um and so i'll, I'll try and do i'll try and think of some more lpl based content ideas that you guys can can watch but other than that i'm gonna be chilling yeah. i'm gonna be going on holiday so that'll be fun no you guys are going part of that unfortunately but uh I don't know yet because it might be Las Vegas, but the American okay. border isn't currently open. And on the 8th of November, we find out if it's going to open up. So uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> I feel like, not, um, hey, have you had AstraZeneca? No, I had uh, uh, Pfizer. 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 Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. For, if That's you've had on Pfizer. If you've had AstraZeneca. You can't go, at least from Australia, you can't go into America. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of wild. Imagine being a, a cringe AstraZeneca kid. Oh. Imagine not being part of the P gang, you know? Okay, well. Cringe. cringe. Well, anyway, before we, before we get into to vaccines <laughs> and everything, um, links are in the chat there as well. Thank you, everyone. Imagine for... having Moderna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Links are in the chat for Munchables. There's his Twitch. There's his Twitter as well. Uh, thank you everyone for, for joining in, for any of the subs, followers, etc. etc. Go follow Munchables there on the links as well. Thank you again for giving me um, another part to this and talking very much about play by play. Um, I feel like this is a, a really valuable resource for people to look onto. We'll be back. We're going to end stream here, guys. Thank you again. We give claps to Munchables. We thank him. And. And we'll be back. I just want to say as well, thank you, Jake, for creating this awesome series because I think it's super valuable for especially amateur casters that are trying to get into the scene, but also casters that are just trying to improve. I think mm. getting different insights from different casters is incredibly valuable. So fucking double thumbs up from me. Good shit, dude. It's, it's a pleasure. I, I feel like there's a lack of resources out there for mm -hmm. 
for growing casters and uh, i i kind of it, it, it bothered me a lot also for grassroots for players as well i will say there's a big big space there that needs to be filled too and i don't know how i do that one so <laughs> we'll see how we go um thank you again guys we're going to end the stream here and uh casting chamber will be back another time with someone else as well thank you again bye bye thank you.